You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, today we're going to wrap up our series on the Radical Cross. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Um, I don't know how much you know about chameleons, but I think chameleons are pretty awesome. I think we have a picture of a chameleon. How cool is that? Um, There are way more things about chameleons than I have the time or the knowledge to tell you this morning, but just a few little fun facts. Did you know the chameleon, you know, its eyes, they rotate on this arc that allow it not only to see in two different directions at the same time, but basically they have almost a 360-degree arc of vision. I don't really understand what all that implies or means, other than you probably can't sneak up on a chameleon very easily. Also, their tongue is one and a half to two times the length of their body. Which, I mean, take a good look at that body. That's ridiculous. <clears throat> but that their tongue comes out so fast and so powerful, and this is where I really start to get lost. It's the equivalent of 40 Gs. Now, maybe one of you aerospace people can help me understand what that means later. All I know is that means a fly has no chance. That tongue is coming out fast. Um, My son probably could tell you more things about the chameleons than I know. Um, Like there's 160 different species of them. Uh, 59 of those species are only found on the island of Madagascar. So if you've got like a chameleon thing, that may be a place you want to go at some point. I've seen the movies and so I I don't want to go there. Um, But here's the thing. We can list all the facts about chameleons all day long. But what's the one thing that you and I, we all think about, we know about chameleons. It's that they've been given this God-given camouflage to blend in and adapt to the environment in order to survive, right? I mean, it's crazy looking at that thing, thinking that it can, in about 10 seconds, blend into the stick that it's touching. But it has this mechanism where it can blend into the environment in order to survive, okay? Moving on, Jesus said on a a hill one day to all the people who were considering, do I want to listen to this guy? Do I want to follow him? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. In other words, when you choose to follow me and my spirit begins to live in you, you become the light of the world. And that light's not to be hidden. You don't light a a light in your house and then stick it under a basket. No, you light it so that it lights up the house. A city on a hill can't be hidden. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, my people aren't here to blend in. My people are here to shine out. Not that Jesus needs anybody to affirm what he says, but the apostle Paul comes along and says that you and I are to shine like stars in the universe. Why is this important? Why is this relevant? Well, it's important because we live in a chameleon culture. Here's what I mean by that. A new thought comes along, uh, a new wind or breeze of thinking, if you will, and you and I are supposed to just, like a leaf, carry along with the wind. 
For instance, the idea that, you know what? I feel like, I, I really feel like I'm a woman. So, you see, there's laughter among us because we all know that we have this understanding that God created with purpose. But there's an idea right now that if I just feel like I'm something other than I am, I can just make some changes and everything will be okay. Rather than understanding that, is it possible that my thinking has become corrupted? Because it's coming from a heart that's corrupted. But again, this is not a new thing that we're dealing with. This is an old thing. What happens is maybe a, an old thought is just packaged up differently, comes along, and we're all supposed to blow along with it. And here's what happens. If you don't, if the new way of thinking comes along and, and you say, no, wait a minute, you know, I believe that there's, there's a truth that stands for all time and that it counters this, and so I'm not going to blow along with your wind. Well, you're considered to be dogmatic. Like, you have a dogma that this is a belief system, that it is unwaverable, it's in concrete, nothing can touch it. And the irony becomes that the people who view you as dogmatic don't realize they've created a dogma of their own. You're also viewed as, and let's use a word that we're all familiar with, you're viewed as intolerant. And again, the irony is that the, the tolerant crowd that views you to be intolerant don't realize that they've created an intolerance of their own for the people that they think are intolerant. Are you confused yet? You should be. But that's the world that we're living in. But let me warn you. And we gave this warning back last year when we were in Galatians, and it's worth saying again. You feel like you are in a culture war. That's a, that's a term that's used a lot. We feel like that we're in this culture war. But friends, let me say to you, as the people of God, that is not at all what it is. It is a spiritual battle. Okay? A great problem that we're having right now is that much of the church, because we live in the flesh rather than through the spirit, we start to engage the culture war rather than the spiritual battle. We have got to get our focus back in the right place. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, the natural person, the person who thinks like the world, the person who blows along with every one of those new breezes I was talking about, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. This is a spiritual battle. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the demands of the cross for those who choose to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about the mystery and victory of the cross for any of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to see that the cross is nothing less than foolishness to those who are lost, who are perishing, and who reject Jesus Christ. If you'll join me in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. We're going to begin in verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through that wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Corinthian culture that this church is operating in, uh, where this church is that Paul is writing to, the culture is pressuring these new believers, most of whom were probably Greeks, they were Gentiles, um, pressuring them to adapt. The, the culture is saying, now, wait a minute, we know that you heard about this gospel and this Jesus, but this is what our culture says, so you should blend in, you should conform back into the culture. And Paul confronts this head on and says, don't do it. Now, who and what is Paul confronting? There are several groups, several ways of thinking Paul confronts in the scriptures that we just read, and I'd like to kind of pull it apart for you for a few minutes this morning because I think it helps us understand some things. First of all, Paul confronts the Jews, okay? He says that for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. First, Paul confronts the Jews, What were the Jews doing, most of them, when Jesus comes on the scene? They're kind of looking for a Messiah, but not really. It's been 400 years. We've kind of all fallen asleep, but we know eventually a Messiah will come. And when he does, we've incorrectly understood God. We believe he's going to come and politically, militarily overthrow anyone who would oppress us, which at that time, we all know, was Rome. So the Messiah will come and he will conquer Rome. Well, Jesus not only did not meet the the signs, if you will, Paul uses this word, or the criteria of what the Jews were looking for, Jesus was the complete antithesis of what they wanted. The reason why they believed that that's what the Messiah would come and do is because that's what they wanted. 
And Jesus, he kept just flushing all those expectations right down the toilet. They were blinded to the fact that the the law, the festivals, the practices, all these things that God had laid out for them to do and to follow for a thousand years, that they were all given to point to the Messiah that would come. They were so wrapped up in doing them, they didn't understand what it was that those things were pointing to. And so this was an entire nation of God's people wrapped up in this. So when you understand that, you begin to understand this. To be a Jew and to accept that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that took a lot of humility. Because everybody else around you is rejecting that. A lot of humility. Why? Well, because the Jews as a whole, as a nation, most of them were more concerned with the nation being avenged by God than they were the individual being reconciled back to God. Let me repeat that. And let me just also say that here we are 2,000 years later, and believe me when I tell you this still remains true. The Jews are much more concerned with the nation being avenged by God than they are the individual being reconciled back to God. And the reason for this is that their hearts are hardened to their own sin. So Paul confronts the Jews. He says, they seek signs. What did Jesus say to them over and over and over? I've given you every sign possible. You won't believe. Now, don't be disheartened and don't misunderstand. There are Jews who fully, firmly believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and they follow him. I met one and was led around Israel by her back in January. But what we have to pray is that more and more and more of their hearts would be broken and they might come to know Christ. Paul also confronts the Greeks. This is probably even greater portion of the culture that the Corinthians were living in. The Greeks did not believe in bodily resurrection. Okay, You did not rise from the dead. No such animal. Well, we should tell you about this man named Lazarus. Uh, you misunderstood. Lazarus was just sleeping in there. They did not believe that that could happen. Moreover, they would not believe that any person of great repute or power would be crucified. That's unthinkable. If you were of great power, there's no way that that would happen to you. So Jesus seemed absolutely nothing like any of the mythological gods that they held to who definitely would not have accepted death as anything other than defeat. So understand this. For the Son of God to be crucified, not happening, and resurrected, nope, not happening either, is nowhere in the Greeks' worldview to even begin to accept. So what does that mean? Well, that means that for a Greek to accept in faith, I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Again, a great deal of humility. Because no one around me is going to be with me on this. 
I might be standing alone. Now, why is this? Well, for a Greek to acknowledge something that you and I would say and the scriptures say and Jesus would say and Paul would say is of faith, they would believe without question is of complete foolishness. Absolute foolishness. Paul does not directly call out the Romans here, but Paul addresses somewhat the Roman way of thinking as well. And so I think it's important to talk about it for a second. Um, Garrett Fagan is a Roman historian, and I want to read to you something that he wrote because I think it helps us understand this better. Ideas of universal human dignity, and he's talking about Rome, were almost non-existent and large swaths of the population were seen as inherently worthless. Weak members of society were objects not of compassion, but of derision. More than most, Romans lionized strength over weakness, victory over defeat, dominion over obedience. Losers paid a harsh price and got what they deserved, and resistors were to be ruthlessly handled. Roman politics became a ruthless game of total winners and abject losers. The drive to dominate and not be forced to bow before a rival was paramount. So you hear that and you remember who essentially carried out Jesus' crucifixion, Rome. To be a Roman and to confess that guy that we crucified was actually the Lord, a great amount of what? Humility. The centurion that stood there and said, surely this must be the son of God. He had to have been overwhelmed by the spirit of God to even utter those words because somebody around him almost guaranteed looked at him and said, are you a fool? We just watched that man die. Why is this? Romans didn't die on crosses. They put people on crosses. Romans didn't die on crosses and they most certainly didn't follow after people who were. They put people there. So take that Jewish way of thinking and that Greek way of thinking and that Roman way of thinking and you begin to somewhat understand the culture that the Corinthian church is immersed in. And the culture is saying it's foolish to believe such a thing. I mean, look at verse 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. What the Corinthians were believing to the world was foolishness. But Paul, Paul says what's foolishness to the world has become, and here are his words, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Let's talk about present day for a few minutes. I want to talk about Islam. And I want to talk about it because it's relevant, it's prevalent, and you need to understand better. So do I. To other world religions, many, many world religions, but especially to Islam, it is absolutely unthinkable that Jesus, if he was, and if he is the son of God, 
would allow himself to be crucified. Absolutely unthinkable. Now, make sure you understand that Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was real for sure. He's in the Quran. The Quran claims that Jesus was the son of Mary, that she was a virgin, claims that Jesus is a messenger of Allah. But the problem is the Jesus of the Quran is not the Jesus of the Bible, is not the Jesus of history. Because Jesus in the Quran would not have allowed himself to be crucified if he was God. And so through this distorted view of the Quran, what's happened is Islam has invented its own Jesus. Now, here's why this is important. Number one, because the world seems to be, um, right now, Islam seems to be rapidly spreading. And I will tell you, that the rise and the spread of Islam, what you perceive it to be because of the media, it is not nearly what you think it is. And that there are parts of the world where you would least expect the gospel of Jesus Christ to be moving, like let's say Iran, where the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Why isn't our media telling us this? I don't know, but they're not. But here's the other reason why you and I need to understand this. Islam and and the Quran are a reflection of the current world and the prevailing religious thought. Really, Islam is just a reflection of the, the, the prevailing religious thought around the world. And it is this. I'll accept the parts of Jesus I like, and I'll leave the parts I don't. There's a thing going on right now that supposedly um, rooted in Christianity called the Jesus Seminar, which is, is basically, I mean, just taking parts of the Bible and ripping them out. For effect this morning, I would have ripped the pages out of my own Bible, but to be honest with you, I, I don't want to get a new one. I like this one. But they're just ripping it out. Surely this is not correct. Surely Jesus wasn't crucified. Surely Jesus didn't say that. I'll take the parts of Jesus I like. I'll toss toss out the parts that I don't. The problem is you can't have it this way with Jesus. Jesus doesn't give us that, that, that rope. You can't pick and choose. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I, me, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is reconciled back to God except through me. Not through Muhammad, not through Buddha, not through anybody else, not through an enlightened way of thinking. It's not all just gonna pan out in the end for everybody. Um, What about the innocent guy over in the fields in Africa? Well, I know what you're thinking and what you're feeling, but here's the thing. He's not innocent because like you and me, he was born into sin, okay? And so you and I, that's why we're called to go. And let me go off for just a second here. It's, my, it's time maybe for some of us to stop giving money for other people to go and for you maybe to go. 
I'm telling you that some of you, your whole life and worldview will be changed if you would take 10 days and go around the globe and see what happens when you open your mouth with the gospel and hundreds of people come to faith. You may not expect that at Lockheed Martin or on the arsenal or somewhere around here, but I will tell you that it can happen. Because people's hearts right now are longing to know that there's something outside of themselves that's important in this world. Something that lasts, something that's true. I don't even know where I was. The religions of this world, though, they're constantly dressed up as some second cousin of Christianity. And the world says that we should integrate into that. That, that we should adapt, we should conform. Let's make Jesus fit this day's thinking, this day's culture. Not my words, but I like them. The cross of Jesus Christ doesn't come with a menu. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Radical Cross, he says that we have two options when it comes to this. Integration and Repudiation. Integration, the definition of integration, which I'm sure that to some level we all know, but hang with me here. Integration is an act of combining into um, behavior in harmony with the environment. So when we integrate, we adapt. We act like a chameleon. I'm going to blend in to survive, to get along. I don't want to make any waves. Repudiation, on the other hand, is rejection of a proposal or idea, denial of the validity of something. Jesus Christ would die for this world, but he did not blend into it. He didn't surrender to it. Tozer, I think this quote is in your sermon notes. He says the Christian, and when he uses that word, he is implying the follower of Jesus Christ sees the world as a sinking ship from which he escapes, not by integration, but by abandonment. A new moral power will flow back into the church when we stop preaching social adjustment and we begin to preach social repudiation and cross-carrying. Modern Christians hope to save the world by being like it, but it will never work. The church's power over the world springs out of her unlikeness to it, never from her integration into it. If you haven't read Tozer, what are you waiting for? Come borrow my books, order your own. The man is one of the most humble, godly writers I've ever read. We have to wake up every day and the first thing that you and I have to pray is not, Lord, help me impact the culture. Do we need to impact the culture? Absolutely. But the first thing that you and I better be praying and asking God in humility is, Lord, help me carry my cross. Lord, whatever you have to do to empty me of me in order that you might fill me with you, Lord, do those things. To reiterate what Tozer said, Christianity will not change the world by trying to be like the world. Won't happen. 
Let me ask you to think about this. Have you ever had anybody at work or at school in class with you? Um, maybe somebody in your neighborhood, maybe somebody, uh, another parent on your kid's ball team, somebody you serve with in the community. Have you ever had anybody look at you and say, what's different about you? What, what's so different about you? There's something different. Like, you know, you, you always seem to just be happy or What's so different about you? What's your response when that happens? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would highly exhort you this morning that you need to be prepared in your response. Let's let Paul help us with it for a second. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's different about you? Hey, I'll tell you what it is. Jesus Christ has ransacked my life and given me hope. The hope of his glory, I hope that's what you're seeing, is exuding out of me. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So those Jews and Greeks Paul was confronting, remember, he's not saying they're all lost and they're all just done for. No, he's saying if they submit to and surrender to Jesus Christ, the power of God will overcome their lives. But Paul is telling you and I here, what is it that's different about us? It's that the power of the living God is now within us. First Peter chapter 3, 15, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Folks, are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have? Because see, the world doesn't need the Christian to adapt and conform. The world needs the Christian to shine out, to stick out, kind of like a big tent in the middle of the city. We should be standing out. But now here's the question. Are you willing to be a fool in the eyes of some? In order to be, as Paul says, in order to be the power of God that brings salvation to someone else. If you desire to be the power of God that brings salvation to one person, you will have to be a fool to others. Are you willing to be okay with that? For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Is that happening? Is the word of the cross the power of God in your life? Friends, I, I am broken over the fact that we live in a world that is filled with people who are lost, who have not heard the gospel, many who are lost and have heard the gospel, but have rejected Christ. I'm not okay with that, and that needs to move me to action. But 
Let me say to you also this morning, I am not okay at all with the idea that someone could sit under the teaching of the word of God here at the brook, walk through life believing that they're following Jesus when really they're just fascinated with him. I don't care if you're fascinated with Jesus. Are you following him? It's tough. It's tough. It demands a cross. The greatest crime would be that it's not the world, but the church that is gorged with people who ultimately at the end of the day actually believe that the cross is foolishness. Well, how, how will we know? How many people are following Jesus? The way that we express that the word of the cross, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the way that we live out that the word of the cross has become the power of God to us, to those of us who are being saved, is that we are following Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask us to quote him. I would dare say to you this morning that Jesus could care less whether we tweet something he says, whether we put him in a great Facebook post. Jesus does not care about social media at all. And I am beginning to care significantly less about it as well. Jesus does not care if we quote him. And now let me go out on a real limb here and say this to you. I don't really even think Jesus cares if we worship him. Find me somewhere in the gospels that Jesus says, worship me. He says, follow me. Obey me. Do what I say. If you do, if you obey me, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Quoting Jesus, I'm not telling you, don't post something Jesus says. Could be some value there. But quoting Jesus and worshiping Jesus are a byproduct of following him. Because see, to be honest with you, uh, and and there's a lot of us here that maybe we need to be... um, pushed on and pressed on by the spirit of God this morning, we can come in here and we can worship with the best. But we walk back out the door and we're not really following what we've, we've saying. Folks, we very intentionally, we don't sing a lot of hymn hall, mamby-pamby worship songs here. And it's for a reason. We need to think about what we're singing. But on the other hand, I think that there are some of us that walk in the room like, yeah, that worship, that's not my deal. If worship's not your deal, I would ask you to prayerfully question whether or not you're following Jesus. Because if you can be in a room with the people of God, with people playing and leading us to the magnitude of like this morning and not be compelled somewhere within you to just go, yes, something's wrong. And I'm not saying that to you to judge you. I'm saying that to you because I love you and I want you to wake up. 
But all of that is a byproduct of us determining to follow Jesus. There are many, many, many people that will never verbally call the cross foolishness, but they won't follow Jesus there either. I don't want that to be us. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And let me ask you to consider, what is that? What is deny himself? That that is the greatest evidence of humility. Why, why do the Jews, why do the Greeks, why do the Romans, why do the Muslims, why is there a constant rejection of Jesus? Because it always begins with humility. Let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. Come follow me. If you want to hold on to your life, I just want you to know you're going to lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake will find true life. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for that very reason. It is the power of God to bring salvation to anyone who believes in Christ. Folks, let me close. Let me say this. How did God, who did God use to bring the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt? God used an introverted old man with a staff. And I don't mean one staff. I don't mean like he had a secretary and a stick. An introverted old man with a stick. How did God take Gideon and his massive army and choose to defeat the Midianites? He sent everybody home but 300 guys. God's on a roll here, isn't he? Who did God choose to use to defeat Goliath and the Philistines? Saul and all his armor, the army of God? No, he got a teenage shepherd with a sling. You see a pattern, don't you? How did God choose to redeem the world from sin? What if we, what if we had a, we got together today around lunch and we said, hey, we got to figure out a plan to redeem the world from sin. Nobody would have ever said, okay, okay uh, God, we have an answer. You should send your son and let him die for all of us. We wouldn't have come up with that. But God did. Philippians chapter two. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to hold on to, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Already what we've just read is foolishness to the world. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Friends, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.